0: Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, Season 7, Episode 7.
1: They may be running GPS with a few teams, but not necessarily have the time to really sift through the data and make use of it and make it actionable. So is that something that you can craft out for yourself? If that's something you're interested in, can you say, hey, you know, like, let me let me figure this out. Let me do this for you, you know, and you never know what that's going to turn into, right? Could turn into an employment opportunity.
0: This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. This is the NSCA Coaching Podcast, and I'm Eric McMahon. Today, we're joined by Adam Parr, the head of performance with Charlotte FC of MLS, Major League Soccer. We haven't had a lot of guests on the podcast from Major League Soccer. Excited to dive in and learn a little bit more. Adam, welcome.
1: Eric, thanks for having me. Excited to to chat a little bit with you.
0: Yeah, you're a podcast guy, man. Excited to have you with us. This will be fun. And uh, I want to dive into your background a little bit. How did uh, how did your path lead to the MLS?
1: Um, yeah, so I I kind of like to say sometimes I have a, a kind of a not not necessarily a traditional yet semi traditional path. Um, you know, I think a lot of people in our industry are, are used to going do your undergrad and then if you go do a master's um you know graduate uh, assistantship somewhere things like that and then kind of working your way up um mine was a little bit different I did my undergrad at San Diego State um obviously a big basketball game this Saturday um in the final four for the first time so go Aztecs uh, but I did a bachelor's in, in kinesiology there um and initially was really kind of thinking I was going to go into PT um, I kind of from a long time wanted to Wanted to work in soccer. I played it at a pretty high level. Um, Won a national championship in, soccer, in high school, and wanted to be part of that. And thought, you know, being a physical therapist was kind of the way that in um, because hadn't been too exposed to to performance in general. Uh, but did kinesiology, thinking I was going to do PT, and wound up kind of realizing I didn't want to deal with the insurance side, and fell in love with the, more the the performance side uh, while I was an undergrad, and then afterwards moved up to LA. And was luckily enough, uh, about six months after I graduated, got an internship with, uh, back then it was core performance, uh, when it was athletes performance and and core performance. It's now Exos, obviously. Um, But that was when there was only, I believe, three locations. Um, And obviously now Exos is huge and all over the world. And so it was nice. I I was there, you know, when there was a lot of the big names, you know, Mark Verstegen was around, you know, from time to time between the facilities and got to meet uh, a lot of different people who are high up in the company now and just... Did a lot of my foundational kind of methodology as, as a performance coach uh, through them, through that internship. And then shortly after that, wound up um, actually doing another internship with a major league soccer team, uh, Chivas USA, which uh, actually no longer exists anymore. Um, it, it has folded for those who who know the game. Uh, they know that. And uh, new owners bought it, you know, years ago, kind of folded it. And then a few years later, rebranded it. And, and it's now um, LAFC. Who's the team that won the, the championship last year um, but was able to do an internship there under Jim Liston um, who is an amazing um, strength performance coach uh, and initially just started through connections got in there um, and met him and he basically just said you know I'm not, I'm not a big fan of interns but um, I have a computer program that I need you to, to look at if do you know how to do anything with it. And of course, me being wanting to internship said, yeah, of course, I can do that. And thinking to myself, I'll figure it out later. Um, and it was the polar team Two heart rate monitoring program. And so I wound up going and he just said, oh, you know, it's halfway through the season, been running this with the guys haven't had enough time to really dive into the data and look at it and, and kind of see what it what is showing us if it's, you know, worth anything, if we can make a meaningful change, make it actionable, etc. So, you know, you've got one month to look at this and, you know, make it worth a while otherwise I don't need an intern and um, want to be in there for a year and a half so I, I must have done something a little bit right uh, finished off that season uh, as an intern and then kind of came uh, around and, and assisted him a little bit more the next year and really focused on on that aspect of it you know did some of the performance stuff in the gym with him but really focused on the um, the heart rate monitoring because this is this was 11 2011 2012 somewhere around there um, so GPS hadn't even hit the US yet so really this was the only thing you know, as far as a, a sports science, so to speak, um, monitoring system that a lot of teams were using. And so um, started really diving into that, figuring out what it was, how we could utilize it, and kind of fell in love with it, You know, looking at a lot of the data and um, the training loads and, and recovery and all this other stuff that I hadn't really been exposed to in my undergrad. Um, and so it kind of opened up a whole world with me. Um, and then you know, shortly after that second season, uh, New Owners came in, bought the team. Let the whole coaching staff go um so i i continued to work uh for uh, steve or excuse me for jim uh, at his place in pasadena a uh, competitive athlete training zone a little bit part-time and i also kind of started doing my own performance stuff in la um, and started working in beverly hills uh, out of a couple of performance gyms privately you know having general pop celebrities, athletes, whether it's, um, you know, youth athletes, college athletes on the summer or even professionals in in their off season and kind of doing that same time as I was working in the performance sector out in Pasadena. Um, And then Jim got a job in in Toronto with Toronto FC. That whole coaching staff went up there and he, you know, kind of said, hey, you know, this is a brand new department, head of sports science. Don't know if I have a position for you. So why don't you just stay in L.A. and keep keep grinding and and doing your thing. And, you know, we're going to find something for you. And so I kind of focused on my performance, uh, business for a while and, but still really wanting to get back in the team setting, you know, had this kind of itch and, and hunger. And I just did, I really loved being in that and working towards a collective goal, you know, having been an athlete myself and and at a somewhat high enough level, um, you know, really missed that decided at, at one point, you know, I'm missing out on a lot of the sports science aspect of things by not being in the team setting for this past several years. You know, I want to be able to kind of level up and, Started going looking for a master's degree um, and thanks to actually Natalie Colars, who's now at Exos, but she was um, working alongside me at uh, the performance gym that I was working at in Beverly Hills alongside with uh, Brett Bartholomew um, kind of said, Hey, did you look at some of the programs out in uh, Australia? Uh, because they're, they're great at kind of mixing S and and sports science found the Australian Catholic university, the master of high performance sport um really looked at that and and thought you know this is exactly what i would like the you know, combination of both and it's really going to show me a lot of the data analysis side and a lot of the things that i need to just kind of level up on um and happen to know a couple people around mls that were either in the process of doing that program or were about to start it as well at the same time and so um jumped into that and it was a fant- fantastic kind of um acceleration for my education and shortly after i started that program i was actually at a sports science um, symposium in L.A. at the L.A. Galaxy One in 2018, ran into an old colleague of mine when I was working at Chivas USA, who is now the current head athletic trainer at the San Jose Earthquakes. And he just, you know, we spent several days together at the whole conference just going over stuff. And I was telling him about the program. And he kind of mentioned that there was an internship opportunity um, as a capstone. And, you know, he basically came back to me and said, listen, are you? usl affiliate which for people who don't know too much about soccer was like a like a triple a team uh, out in reno nevada we don't have a strength coach or a sports scientist so you know we would love to have you go there do both basically run the whole performance side um under the guidance of our head athletic trainer who's already there and you know get your hours for your internship and as long as you don't screw it up like we're gonna give you the job full time <laughs> and kind of said you know no brainer that's i was ready to leave la anyway and you know dropped everything and went out there and it was a fantastic experience for me because I was still doing my master's, you know, I was doing it mostly online. I had to go to Australia for a couple of weeks to kick it off, but um, you know, I was doing my studies in the evenings, going through everything, reading research, you know, going through all of the modules and everything. And then I was able to apply that the next day with the team. So it was a really, really kind of fantastic opportunity for me to to really get my hands dirty um, applying a lot of the stuff I was learning. Um, and, and also it wasn't at a full MLS level. So, you know, there's a little less pressure you can kind of experiment a little bit more see what works and and try some things out and not have to worry you're not, not working with you know million dollar athletes and, and high level players and so it was just a fantastic opportunity for me uh wound up being there for 2018 2019 and then um, wound up getting called up then getting a a job with minnesota united in uh, major league soccer to get back to mls Um, In 2020, so I wound up going up there as the assistant performance uh, specialist and really focusing on the on the gym aspect. It was was basically I was the the strength coach uh, for the team, uh, which was great. But it was 2020, so I moved there in January and to a place I didn't know anybody. You know, halfway across the country, and you know, we basically went through preseason in the first two weeks of the season, and everything shut down. And kind of thinking, what did I get myself into? Because I'm you know locked up all day. And also our athletes are um, And this was the time obviously where, you know, they couldn't even use their own apartment gyms or anything like that. So I'm running uh, workouts via zoom multiple times a week with these guys. And, you know, we don't know when the season is starting back up or anything like that. And so it was one of those, one of those situations where they don't teach this in school, you know, um, and trying to make the most of it and having to flex and adapt. And then our, our season started back up again, the MLS is back tournament. Um, my boss at the time decided to leave the club uh, for family reasons and we had lost our sports scientist uh, just before the season started to another team and we had been in the process of looking for someone when everything shut down so the club came to me and said can you do all three roles you know for for the time being Uh, because obviously there's no fans in the stadium we don't have any money like and I just said yeah of course you know I did it in Reno I can do it here and for me it was a, a kind of a gut check of can I do it at this level all on my own? You know, obviously it's one thing at a, at a, lower level, but now you're, you know, in the big league, so to speak. So, um, but we were really successful in that tournament and then the entire rest of that season, you know, went into the Western conference final. And I mean, if anybody pays attention to MLS, we were up two nil with, you know, 15 minutes left in the Western conference final should have, should have been in the final, um, and, and wound up losing, but it's sort the of best that that team at Minnesota United has ever finished, uh, the season. And so, It was a really positive experience overall uh, especially for me and and also gaining the the trust of um, the players the coaching staff the front office everyone of you know that I was the right guy and that I could kind of move things forward and the following season um, the club decided to bring in somebody from Europe to be kind of a high performance director and oversee a lot of stuff and um, that didn't go so well so about five months later he was let go and they kind of turned to me again and said we need you to kind of take over everything again Uh, and so I did that and um, right at the ship so to speak I guess uh, we want to be you know making the playoffs and um, I had done well enough in those two years that, that and and kind of met enough people and met it known that I, I wasn't I was ready for my next challenge and I wasn't sure if Minnesota United was the place uh, as much as I enjoyed my time there and my current boss uh, John McGregor is the director of performance sports science here at Charlotte FC gave me a call out of the blue uh, I didn't even know him uh, and but he I'd been referred to him by several people and he said listen I'm we got an expansion team in Charlotte starting you know, I've been named the director and I'm asking around, I need a, somebody who can be a dual role of a strength coach and sports scientists. And um, you know, you're, you're the guy. So let me tell you about this project and, and see if I can convince you to come along. And the more and more we talk, the more and more we discussed it. And the more and more I discussed it with uh, my now wife, who was just my girlfriend at the time. Uh, it kind of seemed like a no brainer. It was one of those things that it's a, uh, Almost a once in a lifetime or once in a career opportunity, right? Like you get to be part of an expansion team and kind of build stuff from from scratch, you know, be especially from on the performance end and and culture and and things like that. and so came down here January of last year and was uh, initially just the um, assistant performance specialist and a few months into being here, the the head coach and his head fitness coach were let go for various reasons and kind of took over a lot of the stuff on the performance side again and we did really well and we kind of started out some big projects towards the end of last year. And um, at the beginning of this year, was was promoted to head of performance, and um, it's been it's been a whirlwind few years, but it's been good and it's been a, a fun ride. And I'm really enjoying my time in Charlotte. It's been uh, a wonderful experience so far, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how we continue to progress because I feel like we're on a, on a huge up, upward trajectory.
0: Coming off the World Cup last year, a lot of excitement around soccer and uh, NSCA recently our 2023 Professional Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year was Megan Young with the Seattle Sounders. So we've seen a lot of growth around soccer in the U.S. over the past few years. Uh, Your background really speaks across really the last decade and just the amount of growth that that has happened uh, on strength and conditioning, but also in the sports science space. I thought it was really interesting how you touched on uh, international a few different times in a sport that is so dominant internationally and is really just gaining, starting to gain traction here in North America. Uh, But we've seen this growth and players are progressing through different pathways now than maybe what we've, have seen before. Uh, we've all gone to high school where there's high school soccer teams. there's youth soccer. A lot of young athletes in the u s start with maybe a soccer team in youth and then go on to playing other sports. I know that's was my background uh, and and that's true for uh, for a lot of a lot of our listeners. But I think that uh, now there's more opportunity to advance in the game of soccer. Uh, one thing from you I've learned is that MLS is really expanding into the developmental levels of the sport even more. And uh, I think that's really interesting because you, you really spoke to the value of working as a professional at the developmental levels and how that allows you to build up your arsenal of skills uh, in a lower-pressure environment. Uh, and when you look at MLS – Initially, it was really just the top level, and that minor league system essentially didn't exist as much. We see that in certain professional leagues where we all know in baseball that there's a lot of minor league affiliates, but in the NBA, we're talking about the G League or the AHL for, for hockey, uh, where there really is only one minor league level for that's affiliated with the, with the major club. How has the the minor league system, if you will, developed within professional soccer? How's that impact impacted the pathways that players are getting to the top level of sport and what kind of opportunities now exist for coaches to work at these various levels?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. And and you're right. I mean, you know, I was, I was in college. God, I think I graduated, you know, 12, 13 years ago, somewhere around there. Um, and at that time, you know, basically, for the most part, the only way to, to get into MLS was to get drafted right out of college. Um, there hadn't, I mean, there were a lot of youth clubs, obviously, and big name youth clubs back then. And there was, you know, some people every once in a while who would go over to Europe, but it wasn't really as well established. And in the past, you know, 10 to 15 years, you've seen a huge growth in that space. And, you know, now all of, you know, for, through various different organizations, but through MLS now, you know, every MLS team has you know an academy system, which has multiple teams at, you know, the the youth level. And like just for us with, um, with Charlotte FC, we have a U19s, U17s, 15s U14s. And then we have like kind of a 13s and 12s through a discovery program, which is like locally in, in Charlotte. And you're getting a lot of the best of the best from different regions who are coming to play for, you know, the MLS uh, next, which is the the youth program. academies and sometimes you have people moving across the country you know to go be in an academy because they feel like that's going to be the best uh way for them to move up and either get into the professional ranks or potentially be in in a better spot for college and um you know it's because of that there have there are a lot more players who are have, have higher quality in my opinion who have various different routes now and so you have the players who are the best of the best of the best that, you know, come through the academy. And, you know, at 16, I think we spoke about it previously, like, you know, you can sign a professional deal, you know, anywhere in the world for the most part. And so, you know, you have some players who are going over to Europe, you know, and playing in academies at 13, 14, 15 and getting signed at 16. I mean, the U.S.'s best player, you know, one of them, you know, Christian Pulisic, he was over in Germany, you know, before I think he was 14 or 15 playing in their academy and then signed professionally and, you know, was playing at seventeen for one of the biggest clubs in Germany, um, you know, somewhere around that age. Don't quote me on that. I don't know his exact history, but, you know, and then you can do that here in the U S as well. And so you you start to have players who are kind of the, the high potential players coming through that can sign homegrown deals with the MLS club um, basically mean they're, they're signed to a professional deal, but they're going to continue to develop within that system. And the goal is to move them through the ranks and develop them to play for the first team, the MLS team, you know, at some point in time, you know, or a lot of other academies are developing players and then selling them to big clubs in Europe for a lot of money, which funds those academies, you know? And so um, it's, it's become a completely different world than when I was playing. Um, and because of that, you know, you have all these players who maybe they can't make it to the first team level in MLS or go play abroad, but they're still very talented players. So, you know, maybe now they're, they, they're at higher level, so they can go play at top colleges, top D1 schools. It's easier for the colleges to recruit. Or if they want to play professionally, you know, whether they go to college or not, there's now, low, you know, more established lower leagues. There's always been lower leagues, but they weren't as well established. But um, we have what we call the, the USL Championship, which is basically the second division, um, kind of like a AAA. Um, and, and most of those teams aren't affiliated with MLS teams. It's, it's a whole separate professional league. It's just the second tier. And then they have a third tier called the USL League One, you know, and there's even one b- below that, and all these players are getting paid. They're professional. You know, they may be super young, or they may be a little bit older, and they just they didn't quite have the talent or or the luck to to make it at the top level. But you can still make you know a decent living at a lower level, just like you can over in Europe or in in um, parts of South America. So there's just a lot more opportunities for players to you know live out out their dream or play professionally or or move up the ranks hopefully and um and develop into whatever their potential is and then along those lines as far as snc coaches performance coaches sports scientists you know however you want to term it there's so many more opportunities now if, if you're interested in soccer to actually be working in that and to be part of that process right because um, you know most of these professional teams no matter what level it is whether it's the third tier second tier or mls you know are all going to have at least one if not more than one um some sort of performance coach sports scientists etc cetera but um, whatever the term is. And then now you have all these academy teams too. So, and one of the things that I think is is fascinating and I'm a, um, uh, a shining example of it, so to speak, uh, is a lot of times at these, at, at certain levels, like you get to do everything, right? You're not just in the gym, right? Or you're not just, you know, running the GPS or whatever it is like, you know, you can get to at some places or some places overseas where you have such a large staff, everyone's very specialist at some of the lower levels and even the reserve teams and other places, you know, you get to be the head strength coach, the head sports scientist, the head fitness coach, you know, and even at times, you know, assisting with performance nutrition, things like that. It just depends on the club and the, and the finances. And so it's a really great place to wear a lot of hats and to really, you know, kind of perfect your craft. And also in my opinion, I think it makes you more employable as you move on. Um, So I think it's, It's a huge opportunity for for our industry, for anybody who wants to get into professional soccer at any level.
0: There's a couple themes there that came through. Soccer as an early specialization sport or as an earlier specialization sport than maybe it was thought to be years ago. And also more pathways being developed for players, but also strength and conditioning coaches and sports medicine staff to grow their craft within the sport. And while going back to your story and how you got into the profession, you did all the traditional things you have to do. You networked, you met people, you you made the connections, but you always kept your main goal in mind, which was to get to that MLS level. Uh, and, and you were mobile and you made that happen. Uh, more opportunities now and and now folks like you who really had to hustle to get where you're at, are in positions of leadership to be able to help those academy coaches, help those developmental league coaches uh, really seize the moment of where they're at and push the game forward. So I like to think, you You know, maybe I think it's my job to give strength coaches and, and performance coaches way more credit than sometimes we even deserve. But I think soccer is a great example of a sport where, We didn't really have soccer developing in North America, in the U.S., without a strong component of strength and conditioning, of fitness, of sports science. It really has been embedded from the beginning. And I think your path speaks to that. Uh, You had a sports science role before you progressed into a traditional strength and conditioning role, whereas a lot of us in North America, it might go the opposite direction, just the way... Sports science is, is coming into U.S. and American sport. Uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on sports science, just the growth you've seen, obviously, the international influences that have made their way into MLS and just some of the things that that you're seeing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think to go back to what you're saying, you know, when I was when I was an intern at Chivas USA, you know, Jim, listen, he, he said, I, I have this program that I need you to, to take a look at and, and figure out how to make it more actionable and more useful than, than what we've done so far. And that was really the first exposure to, you know, what people would consider some sort of sports science type thing. And obviously, it's all under the umbrella of kinesiology, exercise science, you know. But back then, it, like I said, it was before GPS had hit the shores. So my undergrad, you know, we weren't necessarily exposed to much in the sports science realm if you want to call it that um you know it's it was very much just exercise science it's kinesiology a lot of people are going into pt um or athletic training you know or pedagogy various things like that there wasn't a whole lot of um i guess push or even um access to to professors or even guest speakers or anything who were saying hey this is a route that you can go right or these are some things that you can do Uh, and so i just happen to fall into it right and realize like oh I really I think this is really interesting I like the data I like math I like but I I, I really enjoyed and, and gravitated towards understanding training loads and stimulus and recovery and just all and how it all fit together and we started putting together pieces of you know how are we going to how are the coaches going to plan training based off of the training loads that we're getting from the, the heart and different drills and things like that and um, and Jim and his team took it to a whole new level when they went to Toronto FC, but um, it was kind of the, 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 early beginning. And that's what really kind of caught my attention. Um, and then as I started doing more and more in the, in the traditional performance S and C space, I started, you know, really kind of connecting the dots of how much they were so interrelated um, and knew that that's what I wanted to, to really focus on uh, as far as a masters and, and really trying to get back in the team setting because they are so linked and, then, once I did get back to MLS, you know even at the lower levels and and whatnot, like obviously GPS is huge now, right? It was only a couple of years later after I was out of MLS uh, initially that that it hit the shores and everybody was using it. And it's now it's it's just become, like you said, almost embedded, right? Where you have to understand so many of these things from the external workloads to the internal workloads, um, and then how you're prescribing stuff on field within drills, specific days. The microcycles on the field, in the gym, you know, the pre-training, the testing, the readiness, like all sorts of stuff. It's just all become one, you know, big field, and and I, I like to lump them in together because I truly believe that performance and sports science should be. Um, I think that has exploded in Major League Soccer in the past. You know, I mean, I've this is my you know fourth or fifth year back in it, um, they, and then in the past five to seven to eight years, I mean, it has just absolutely, you know, like I said, exploded where performance staffs, sports science, et cetera, there's just so much going into what's being fed to the coaches, how we're taking care of the athletes, how we're making sure that they're healthy available and, you know, performing optimally Um, the money that's gone into it from clubs and and the investment and, you know, really looking at what's being done in Europe, what's what's been done in Australia um, and, and trying to not, not only mimic it, but, almost improve upon it within our own situations and environments. Um,
0: it's awesome. I like how you said performance and sports science as one uh, in, in the value of that for the industry advancing as a whole. I think it speaks to the process we had at the NSCA in developing the new CPSS credential and uh, really trying to integrate all of the performance disciplines and types of practitioners and professionals involved everybody from the technology space to the academic researchers fueling us with information well practitioners are the delivery mechanism for that information and a lot of that comes back to the importance of education and communication within sports science and how that information gets from the textbook, from the research papers to the athletes. I wanna ask you about athletes today, the athletes you're working with and the dialogue and conversations that you have related to sports science. Do you feel like MLS players and the players you work with are more receptive to data and information than maybe we were as a generation of athletes now that it's part of the game? What kind of information are they seeking from this sports science uh, equation, and um, how has that impacted the role of you as a strength coach, you as a sports scientist?
1: Yeah, I mean to answer to answer your que- first question, yeah, absolutely. I think that they uh, uh, value data far more than you know even ten years ago, let alone any, anything beyond that. From from my perspective, obviously, I've only been working in it you know for for about that long, uh, but I think. The, the athlete of today is so used to having all of this, you know, sports science um, and data kind of at their fingertips or being part of their everyday training that it's not, um, it's not something that is is a foreign um, concept to them. And so they're just used to it. They're all used to wearing the GPS now, you know, cause it's been done pretty much everywhere for a long time now. Um, and then, you know, getting the training reports and looking at them, whether it's a, you know, the metrics that they hit that day, what they were supposed to hit, where they're at in um, specific loading um, or their match reports, wanting to know what they did compared to their averages compared to the previous match. Um, and then even, you know, things like, you know, we do, we do certain types of readiness testing every week, you know, and even something like a counter movement jump, obviously, you know, wanting to know what their scores are, you know, giving them that instant feedback uh, and, 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 the, our new strength coach, Pete Gork, has been great at that, you know, providing that instant feedback, like basically putting the iPad in front of them while they're doing the tests or while they're doing the um, the hamstring or the, or the groin squeeze or anything like that so they can see their scores and see where they compare to previous, um, putting, you know, leaderboards up in front of them so that they can compete a little bit, but also see showing them where they are compared to standard deviation. Like, there's a, they just understand, so I think a lot more because they've um, – kind of grown up with it now, um, as far as this generation of player, the, the ones that are in their early 20s to late 20s. Um, you know. And so I think that part has been great and it's, it's a lot easier to, I think, achieve buy-in with a lot of them because they understand it more. And I think they're willing to ask a lot of questions and it's easier for, for myself um, to go up and, and have a conversation with somebody and say, hey, listen, here's what's going on. Here's what we're seeing from the data. Here's what this is showing, like what's going on with you. and and trying to kind of work through that to achieve goals, but also, like I said, build buy-in and and explain why we're doing what we're doing. You know, we do, you know, post-match runs to try and get high-speed running and sprinting after every match, right? Um, And if you go to a pro soccer game, you're going to see most teams, a lot of teams will do that. The first few years when I was doing that, a lot of the players didn't know why, right? They didn't understand. And so it was, you know, kind of a light bulb moment for us to, as I've grown and kind of gone team to team to, to educate the players more on this is why we do what we do. This is why we ask this and and continue to have that dialogue throughout the season. So when players come to me and say, you know, why, why am I doing this? Or why do I have four runs and he has two, you know, and I can say, okay, well, this is why, like, here's, this is based on your load for the week, based on your position group based on what you've done previously and kind of show them real quick. Here's why. And they say, okay, got it. I understand. And so, when we're able to show them, I think that we're individualizing as much as we can, then they understand, okay, like they're doing it for my best interest. And at least I've seen that recent, a lot of players have have really picked up on that as long as we explain it to them beforehand, like everything we're doing is with you in mind, right? We want to keep you healthy. We want to keep you available. We want to keep you performing at your optimal level, right? Um, You know, the best ability is availability, right? The old cliche but we, we want everyone to be healthy and performing and everything that we're doing is to try and help you stay that way. Um, and so I think I've seen the change in the past few years of more and more players, especially the other ones being more receptive to it and understanding and asking more questions and wanting to, to really grasp a lot of that data and the knowledge and not just to compare against their teammates, but to compare against themselves and, and understand what's happening with them. Um, and then that way, when we do tell them, give them feedback, especially when it's positive feedback, it's, it's great. Like, you know, you hit a new max speed today, or you, you know, you did this, or you did that, you know, you hit a new, you know, jump high, whatever it is is. They're, they're really taking ownership of it and and they um, buy in even more. And I think it's just kind of one chip at a time, getting everybody to do that uh, has been an easier and easier process as the years go by and more and more of them become used to it. Now most of our stuff is on their phones anyway, and they're on their phones all day. So it's easier to just have them, you know, get everything to them on their phones and have them do it. And it becomes part of their daily habits.
0: I like that approach of finding the small wins using technology that can create some opportunities to praise athletes or give them feedback, uh, related to their performance, but something constructive, sometimes during a long season or during a long stretch of the season where, where it can get pretty long and and you feel the pressure of the season, you <laughs> feel the pressure of showing up every day. And, uh, Something to stay refreshed, and I think that's our part of our role is keeping our athletes engaged and motivating them to um, to continue putting their best effort in, so that they can be who they are on the field and be their best athlete. I uh, want to ask you: you know, we've talked about pathways for strength and conditioning coaches. We've talked about pathways for sports scientists. Uh, what advice do you have for some of our younger listeners, young coaches, or students who? may see MLS as an opportunity, an area of growth that they want to pursue?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the number one thing is to try and get experience however you can, even if it, even if it's volunteering, right? Obviously, internships are great. Not everyone is afforded the ability to do an internship, but can you reach out to local clubs, local, you know, it doesn't have to be MLS. It can be USL, USL League One. It can be local, you know, youth clubs. Um, and a lot of youth clubs that especially the ones that aren't academies don't have a performance coach or they may have one you know running multiple teams so reaching out to you know anybody that's in your area and asking you know what can i do to help how can i help you know and especially uh, at younger levels and, and youth clubs they may be running gps with a few teams but not necessarily have the time to really sift through the data and make use of it and make it actionable so is that something that you can craft out for yourself if that's something you're interested in can you say hey you know like let me let me figure this out let me do this for you you know um because you can create an opportunity for yourself to not only learn the tech and learn the procedures and and kind of the best practices but then also become a valuable part of what they're doing and you never know what that's going to turn into right could turn into an employment opportunity or a a recommendation or referral you know to somewhere else when. when someone asks because everyone everyone in this industry knows each other right even in the soccer coaching community you know um so i think that is an easy thing to do high schools as well Um, but also you know reaching out to anybody at higher levels too and just say hey you know are there internships available if it's not you know like we personally we do it through a specific university but there might be observational opportunities or there might be chances to sit on zoom calls like this and ask questions and you know where should I start? How should I do this? And you never know what's going to come about unless you actually reach out to people and try. And so I think that's the number one thing. And then for me, I, I always encourage people to try and get involved at the younger levels, because like I said, you have to wear a lot of hats. So you get to learn a lot on the job and it's okay to make mistakes, right? Um, generally speaking, if you're working with a bunch of 11 and 12 year olds, if you make a mistake here or there, you know, obviously it's can't be a major mistake where you can get someone seriously injured but like if you didn't do a warm-up the way that you really wanted to do and you're like man i wish i'd done it differently like you can try it again the next time or you know if you didn't understand certain aspects of the gps you can go and learn and then come back and say you know however whatever it is that you're trying to hone in on at the lower levels there's there's a lot more opportunity for you to just kind of learn as you go and learn from experience and learn by doing um, with less pressure because obviously like i said you're not working with you know the high level athletes where if something happens, like your job is on the line, right. And also your job is always kind of on the line because, you know, you need to win. Right. And so, um, I think that's a, an easy one for any, any young coaches and students who are thinking about getting into it is reaching out to people, but also trying to start at youth levels and, um, really, really, you know, perfect your craft, so to speak. And then as you get more and more, um, Gain your ability and, and comfortable and confident in what you're doing, then that should show and potentially you're gonna start moving up the ranks, whether it's with the club you're at or, you know, elsewhere, you know, if you have to move around. And I think the other thing is just being adaptable, you know, like willing to flex and 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 adapt, not only to um, jobs and things like that, as far as what you're doing day to day, but situations, circumstances. Um, if you're very rigid in what you do in your approach, you're probably not going to succeed. Uh, in, in this space, at least, um, you know, I, <clears throat> we were talking about earlier, but if you just take my 2020 till now, I mean, move to Minnesota as, as an assistant and then COVID happened, shut down, no shirt, no idea what we're doing, then doing Zoom, you know, um, workouts, which is not something that we were ever taught to do. Then my boss leaves, take over everything for the return to um, is back tournament where we lived in orlando for 41 days and played in a bubble you know and then come back and it's we have to spit an entire season into three and a half months so we're basically playing every saturday wednesday saturday wednesday for three and a half months which is the craziest schedule the league's ever had you know and then the next year somebody comes in from europe as i performance director kind of changes everything wants to blow it up doesn't work out then has have to take over everything again put back you know put the pieces back in place and then get come to charlotte head coach, head fitness coach, not big on lifting, like at all. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? Like, how do I build bridges with this and, you know, work with that? But also my director is, you know, is really keen on wanting us to put in our, in place our performance um, culture. How do I work between the two situation I wasn't expecting? And then they get fired. And so then I take over everything. And then, you know, all of a sudden, we're going with a new coaching staff and we get we get on a roll we almost make the playoffs we do really well start putting in place some foundational things for the club and building out big projects um building a training facility that opens in in the summer and getting to design a gym and then head forms. it's like there's all these things that happen that if you were to just sit here and say okay this is what i want to happen right and plan it out right there's all these things that happen along the way that blow that up and so you have to be willing to just flex and adapt and say, okay, cool. I'm going to run with this, or I'm going to go this direction and run with that. And, you know, I think that's another thing that, uh, young coaches coaches in general, but I think young coaches especially need to be, uh, need to understand that it's not going to go according to plan and you have to be okay with that. And, and the more adaptable you are, I think the more successful you're going to be, at least from my experience.
0: It, there's something to that thinking about professional sports. I think what you're talking about, there's the, unpredictability of professional sports and I mean you can be making incredible progress on the performance side and the team goes a different direction and you're starting from scratch the next year or or really quickly and just being able to transition pivot change your mentality change a program build new bridges make connections with new players and other staff members being dynamic is a huge part of the job at the professional level I think You know, when we speak to young coaches and really what I what I asked was around, you know, this is such a growing area and they probably see that this is an area where, you know what, the the MLS needs great coaches. You know, it's still relatively in its infancy of way of soccer in the U.S. And there's there's huge opportunities years ahead and there's careers to be had in that. Uh, but where you get your reps, you talked about getting it at the youth level, but finding an environment and maybe it is better to find an environment that is a little bit more structured to get your reps where it's a little more consistent and you can go to your example of leading warmups and you can lead the warmup and, and progress the warmup in the way that you think is best and find a way to, to, uh, Find your coaching style and your coaching voice through that and the types of movements you need to include related to the sport, something you're comfortable with, something that resonates with the sport, resonates with, with your athletes so that you're building up that arsenal of tools, of skills, so that when you get to an environment that's less predictable, you have more to dig from. And you, you said it a few times, you know, these aren't, Skills that we necessarily learned in school. You know, we definitely didn't have strength and conditioning classes that we were implementing training sessions via Zoom or on video calls. That definitely was not a thing. Uh, I know our private sector coaches and our personal trainers, we do a session every year at our personal trainers conference on virtual training sessions, and, and that's grown immensely uh, in, in push the fitness field forward. But on that, we're becoming more dynamic as professionals. Um, we're growing into new areas, new sports. I think it's, uh, it's really exciting to see. It's exciting to hear from someone working in MLS that, you know, well, some areas of your background are not that traditional. A lot of them are, you had to network, you had to grind, you had to find those opportunities and make those connections in a sport that, really didn't have the infrastructure and the building blocks that maybe there are today for young coaches. So, uh, but now you're a mentor, now you're a leader and you get to help the next generation of coaches come into the game. That's also sports scientists. I think it's exciting. And, uh, this was really fun to talk shop today and learn. So appreciate you being here and, uh, if you would give us your uh, social media tags and uh, contact info for anyone who wants to reach out.
1: Yeah, no, thanks again for having me. Um, it's really easy for me, Instagram and LinkedIn are the two areas. Um, I don't, I haven't done Twitter I think ever maybe for about a week, uh, 10 years ago or so, but that was about it. Um, and it's easier to reach me on Instagram or, or LinkedIn than even to email me, have uh, my work email address. So uh, my Instagram is at APAR Fitness and my LinkedIn is um, LinkedIn backslash Adam AdamCPAR. And yeah, I think anybody that wants to reach out, continue this conversation, ask questions, you know, whether you're a young professional student or someone who's been around for a long time, I think and I'm always keen to bounce ideas off of each other and, and ask questions of other people that are in the field, whether you're in, in soccer or other sports or even private sector or, you know, special operations, things like that. It's I feel like the more that we can communicate and discuss what we're all doing, I think uh, it helps to continue to grow the field. So I'm happy to um, discuss things with people that reach out. It may take me a few days. It's a little bit busy right now since we're in the middle of the season, but um, I will get back to you.
0: That was Adam Parr, Head of Performance with Charlotte FC. Thanks for being with us. Also, everyone tuning in, we appreciate you. And thank you to X Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. Thanks for listening to another episode of the NSCA Coaching Podcast. We value you as a listener, just as we value your input as a member of the NSCA community. To take action and get involved, check out volunteer leadership opportunities under membership at NSCA.com.